0: So we continue our study with Ecclesiastes. And you remember that King Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And he wrote it down. He wrote all that he discovered through wisdom. He wrote it in the Proverbs and the Song of Songs and here in this book of Ecclesiastes that we're studying. And he tells us that the beginning of wisdom, that first step is fearing the Lord. As we continue that journey of fearing the Lord, we learned that we're all on the Titanic. I mean, this ship is sinking, it's going down. There's nothing we can do to stop it. Now, maybe not the earth itself. That's another story, what's going to happen at the end there. But your life and my life, our personal ship is sinking. So what do we do with that? Well, Solomon says, I can tell you how to live wisely knowing that is true. So we're going to talk about that today as we continue this study. Welcome, everybody. Hello, Curtis. Uh, Curtis is starting us with a joke here. Why did the scarecrow win an award? He was outstanding in his field. All right. Dad jokes. Got to love dad jokes. Good morning, Keith. Glad that you're with us. Sopgu. Welcome, everybody. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Doug. I work for a ministry called Cross to Crown Ministries, and I uh, am the president of New Covenant School of Theology, which, by the way, you still have time to sign up for our Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter and Jude class that starts tonight. Uh, But I won't badger you with that anymore. Uh, glad you're here. We are studying this book of Ecclesiastes to learn from the word of God because we want to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. So I hope you have your Bible and hope you're ready to join us. Good morning, Jenny. Uh, happy Monday. It's a good day. It's a good day. I know our culture, our world says, Oh, it's Monday back to work. The weekend is so wonderful. And Mondays are a drag. No, that is not a Christian perspective. That is not a wise perspective. We're not going there. Today is a good day. And to show that we believe that, I'm going to say my part. You say your part. And then we will, if you have your coffee, do you have your coffee? Have your drink with you? Then we will drink and taste the Lord's goodness. So here we go. My part. This is the day the Lord has made. Yes, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's taste and see the Lord's goodness. Ah, yes, coffee. Just a little little expression of God's goodness. All right, so Ecclesiastes, we're in chapter nine. And this sounds like a morbid way to start, right? We're on the Titanic. The ship is going down. We're all going to die. That's true. That's just reality. So what do we do with that? And how does that help us become more wise? Well, let's look at chapter nine of Ecclesiastes and see what the wise king has for us. He says, for, stop right there. Stop right there. Remember, I've told you that as we go through this, one of the things I want to help you do is learn how to study the Bible for yourself, how to really make sure you understand it. Whenever you see the word for, or any other connecting word, at the beginning of a sentence, and, therefore, uh, because, those kinds of terms, you need to stop and ask, what came prior to this? Because those words, for, and, therefore, because, all those kind of words, thus, so, all those are words that say, I'm continuing something from what I said already. See, I, I committed a, uh, an exegetical error on Friday by stopping at the end of the previous chapter because he's continuing his thought. So let's back up a little bit and see what happened at the end of chapter eight. The end of chapter eight, verse 16, he says, "When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, so he's applying himself to this and he's he's having sleepless nights trying to figure out what in the world is happening on earth. Verse 17, "And I saw every work of God. And I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. He looked and he looked and he observed. He says, you can't figure out what's going on. You just can't. Look back at the weekend. What happened this weekend in your life? What happened in the world? What happened on the news? We'll talk about that in a moment. You can't figure it out. You can't look back and say, oh yeah, I predicted all that was gonna happen. And you can't draw from the weekend and say, I know what's going to happen today. And at the end of the week, can't do that. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, I know what's going to happen, he cannot discover. So that's how Solomon ended the last chapter. And you probably know this, but in case you are a younger Christian and don't know this, chapter breaks are not in the original writing of the Bible. Solomon did not write Ecclesiastes with chapter breaks. These are tools that men have put in to help us reference them. So I can say, hey, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 or whatever. In the original language, this was just a letter written. This was just a, a book of poetry. And he continued on his thoughts. So here at the end of verse eight, or chapter 8, he says, man can't know. Even the wise man can't know. Then we go to chapter 9. And he begins this. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, Wise men and their deeds are in the hand of God. In some ways, that is the message Solomon has been trying to get us to grasp through the entire book. Your life is in God's hands. We used to sing this song when I was a kid. I'm sure some of you have sung it. Uh, He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world, right? We sing that. Do we believe that? And do we only think that means good things, right? So often, God's sovereignty is presented as though, oh, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be happy. We, we teach kids that. God's always going to make this work out well. Is that true? Is that setting them up for real life to make them think that everything is going to just go their way? No, it's not real life, is it? Even the hard things Solomon has said throughout this book, even the hard things are in God's hands and he brings them for a purpose. Look what he says here. He says at the end of verse one, man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Do you know whether people are going to love you? Do you know whether people are going to hate you? You don't. You don't know how people are going to think of you and treat you. All those things are in God's hands. It's the same for all, he says. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is he who is afraid to swear. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun that there is one fate for all men. Now, he has said this over and over and over again because he knows how quickly we forget this. We, we live as though it's not true. Everybody's gonna die. The most wicked person, he's not gonna get away with it forever. And Solomon has taught us repeatedly, he's gonna stand before God at judgment. The most righteous person is not gonna live forever. And, and Solomon observes all this and he says, I, it, it's just wrong. And from one perspective, it is. It seems wrong, at least. But God is doing this so that we remove ourselves from thinking we know what's going to happen. So we'll trust him, so that we'll fear him, and as we'll see, so that we will enjoy what he gives us. Middle of verse three here. Furthermore, furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Isn't that the truth? We talked about, uh, I mentioned it a moment ago, what happened yesterday. Uh, more tragedy. A guy drives into a, a Christmas parade, and I haven't seen all the details. I haven't followed it closely. Uh, last night when I went to bed, I, I think they said five people had died and maybe more have died, and that's just the latest. Um, we know these things are happening regularly. It, it, it's Man is evil. Men are crazy. Men are, men are Their hearts are wicked, and, and there's nothing new about it we we can either become desensitized to it or we can become naive and think oh why does this keep happening well it keeps happening because that's the heart of mankind men are evil solomon knew it we know it afterwards they those evil men they go to the dead they will for whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. So he's, he's contrasting, the, the evil man's going to die. While you're alive, there is hope. So he's, remember, he's done this throughout the entire book. He keeps opening up to the big scheme of things, the big truths. We're all going to die. We can't uh, straighten what God has bent. And it, it seems like a cry of despair. Why go on? And then he keeps coming back to, no, let that be motivation to go on, but just remove the idols, remove the idol of life and of certainty and of all your hopes and dreams. You you can't live in light of what you hope will happen in 10 or 20 years because it may not happen. You have no control over it and we're all going to (laughs) die. This sounds sounds so depressing, but it's actually freeing. So, it's better to be alive, he says. Look, verse five, for the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything, nor have they any longer a reward for their memory is forgotten, right? When you're dead and gone, life is over. You have no hopes, no dreams. So at least while you're alive, there is something to hope in, but maybe not what you think. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, that's the the dead person. They have no dreams, no zeal, no envy, no nothing. They're not experiencing love, not hate there's no experience, they're gone. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. So his conclusion for all of us is something we've seen over and over and over again. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. I'm assuming that most of you are Christians. That's probably why you follow this channel and why you listen to uh, to biblical teaching. If you are a believer in Jesus, real faith, religion is not just a a tradition for you, but you really do believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's true, the scripture says God has justified you. He has declared you righteous. Think of all the sin in your life, the sins of this weekend, the sins of this morning already, the sins of all your life, All of those sins were punished in Jesus. God now looks at you as though you were Jesus himself. And Jesus, of course, never sinned. Jesus is righteous. And now it's like the judge brings down the gavel and looks at you and says, you're righteous. Not because you actually are in yourself, but because you have Jesus's righteousness put to your account. And that's what God judges you on, on Jesus's works you are right before God. He has approved your works. Think about that. He's not nitpicking at everything. He's not looking for you to trip up so he can get you. There's no gotcha questions with God. Oh, he does test us. He wants us to prove ourselves. But if you are in Christ... The final declaration has already been made. You are just. He has approved you and your works because he's looking at Jesus and his works. And Jesus is his son. He loves his son and his works. That frees us to enjoy something as simple as food and drink. Did you eat any good food yesterday? Did you have a good breakfast this morning? Did you enjoy it? If you didn't, Why not? What is it about your mindset that causes you not to just pause and enjoy food and drink? What causes you to have a cup of coffee and not enjoy it? (laughs) Knowing that God accepts you in Christ, that he approves of your works because of Christ, and you're not concerned to try to meet some standard. It actually frees you to enjoy life. He goes on. Verse eight, let your clothes be white all the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. Give a little concern for fashion. Clean your clothes. Take a shower. Use shampoo and conditioner. Enjoy feeling clean. All of that. Just enjoy the simple things of life. Take time. Take time. We are physical creatures. You know, we talk a lot about the spirit and, and our souls, and our souls go to heaven when we die. All that kind of stuff. Yes, but on this earth, we're human, fleshly creatures. So to enjoy these fleshly things, these these physical things, it's why we're here. It's part of why we're here. It's part of uh, the joy that we can have is just enjoying drink and and food and taking a shower, putting you know product in your hair, whatever he says, Uh, wearing nice clothes, caring about fashion, it's part of it. Verse nine, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. I love that. That word fleeting, that's the same word we've seen over and over and over again so far, the word vapor. You're just here for a moment. You're just a flash in the pan, as we say. There's no long lasting substance. Again, your ship is going down. You may die today, you may live for another 40, 50, 60 years, may live five years, you don't know exactly when, but the ship is going down. Don't waste it, don't miss it. Your life is fleeting. Enjoy life with the woman you love. Oh, how many marriages, how many husbands and wives, just because they're caught up in stuff, caught up in anxieties and fighting and and concerns and on and on and on. And they just, they don't enjoy each other. All the dreams they had on their wedding day, all the plans, they're going to love one another forever. And then they stop enjoying that. They let something else get in the way. Curtis here says, certainly a foretaste of what's to come for those who love God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if we miss it, if we don't take time to enjoy these things as a foretaste, then we're just missing out and, and life becomes uh, a drudgery. Um, I mean, maybe the Titanic is a bad example because, you know, in that situation, you know, it's sinking in some, sinking soon, right? It's sinking in the next hour or two or whatever. And of course, you're going to try to save yourself. You're going to try to uh, protect women and children, all those kind of things. So, and, and when I use the word, the, the example of Titanic, I mean, it's a, it, it's a slow sinking. <laughs> we don't know. Again, you're on your own Titanic in this sense. Uh, and you don't know. You know that somewhere in the next 50, 60 years, your ship is going down. Um, so what would you do if you knew that was true? If you really realized that it would make you want to enjoy if you're, if you're on this, this glamorous ship, but you know, it's going to sink at some point, there's nothing you can do about it. You would enjoy food. It might be your last meal. I mean, eat like it's your last meal. Speaking of someone who knows how to eat like it's their last meal, my wife, Sure, what that means. My wife, she's a foodie. She enjoys food. food much more than I do. Uh, I love you. <laughs> Have a great enjoy day. enjoy your day and your food on your sinking ship. <laughs> you've uh, you've heard of the bucket list, uh, and I, there was a movie Jack Nicholson. I forget who the other guy was in uh, in the bucket list, the movie they made. You know that idea that you find out you got cancer and you're going to die within the next two years. How would you live? If you knew you had two, three, four years to live, well, it could drive you into deep despair, or it cause you could cause you to say, "Okay, I'm gonna enjoy every moment. I'm gonna enjoy all the blessings, all the pleasures of life that I can." Now, as Christians, we also, you know, we know where to seek first His kingdom. So there's there's more to this. Don't get me wrong. Uh, living and seeking how to please Jesus and all that. That's that's there. That's in the scripture. So, uh, but but for wisdom. Part of it is realizing we all have cancer or some other, we have this disease called sin that is going to kill us. We just don't know when it's going to kill us. So I'm not advocating, and Solomon is not advocating a bucket list in the in that sense, but you get the idea, you get the mentality. If, if you have clear in your mind that the day is coming then it frees you to enjoy any good thing that comes your way uh, today. Martha says here, I'm enjoying breakfast. Amen. Do it. Enjoy every bite. Give thanks to the Lord for flavors. You realize he could have made food bland, like everything totally bland and everything tastes the same. He could have done that. He, he could have made everything like that so that uh, we have to eat to live, but we don't really enjoy it. Instead, he made this whole world full of flavors. How many of us go through life and don't even pay attention to that? Uh, I, I tell people, you know, he, he he made the world in color. Now, you know, I learned something a, a couple years ago at the eye doctor. I didn't know this most of my life. I'm actually colorblind. Uh, I can't see the same colors that all of you can see if you have full full scope, full, full spectrum. But what I can see is gorgeous. I can't imagine what the rest of you are seeing if I'm limited. But God could have made the whole world in gray, but he didn't. He made sunsets and he made rainbows and all the colors. Enjoy breakfast, Martha. Enjoy all that, that you see. Curtis here says, yep, Polish the rails on a sinking ship. Yeah, now there's a danger in that mindset, right? Um, we, we can, well, actually the way you said it is a good thing. Some people use that to say, why would we polish brass on a sinking ship? Curtis here has it right. He has Solomon's wisdom. Yeah, the ship is sinking, but while we're on it, make it look wonderful, enjoy it. Uh, live life while we're while we're living, while we're dying. Live life. So enjoy the wife of your youth. Uh, Some of you wish you could be married. Enjoy your singleness. I know it's easy to uh, be jealous of what other people have. Enjoy your singleness. You can do that. Some of you have been married and your spouse is gone. Uh, You can, you can enjoy life. Don't be bitter. Don't Don't be resentful. Don't wish for what you don't have. Uh, Sapku says, good question, On Oh, I missed a one. Let's go back and see what Lon says here. Lon says, as Christians, we live today for benefits to come in eternity. Did Solomon not have an eternal life concept? He never speaks of it. Yeah, good question. Uh, almost nobody in the Old Testament had an eternal life perspective. Think about it. At least they didn't write about it. Now, David is an exception. There's a little bit in Daniel. And then as the prophets come, Uh, they begin to talk about uh, eternal things a little bit more. But through most of the Old Testament history, there's just not a lot of discussion about the afterlife. Um, We don't get a lot of resurrection in the Old Testament. Everybody's going to Sheol. Everybody's going to die. Going to go be with their fathers, that kind of thing. And they didn't really talk about what comes after life. That was not part of it. And think about the Old Covenant was a temporal, this-worldly covenant. All the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, all of them, for the Jew, they were all earthly, temporal blessings. You'll have food, you'll have wine, you'll have victory over your enemies, you'll prosper in everything in life. That, those were the blessings of Israel under the Old Covenant. And if they disobeyed, they would receive curses, and they were all temporal curses. Uh, God didn't say, I will send you to hell, He says, I will bring your enemies to destroy you. I will bring disease and and famine and all of that, all very earthy. Then when God stops speaking in those dark ages between the Old Testament and the New Testament from Malachi through Matthew, 400 years, God didn't send prophet. He didn't send his word to anybody. It was during that intertestamental period that Jewish rabbis and and the, the Jews, of course, were in exile. They began to ponder the afterlife. And they begin to reflect on things and talk more about resurrection and eternal life. It's like they realized, oh, we are, we are enslaved to the Greeks, the Romans, before that, the Persians and the, and the Babylonians were, were enslaved. God made all these promises to us. Maybe it's not just about earthly things. Maybe there's something beyond. And they begin to really want to think about the afterlife. And then Jesus shows up, of course, and says, yes, I'm here to tell you about the here and now and about resurrection and about eternal life. And, and he laid it all out for us by dying and then coming back to life. So great question, Lon. Yeah, Solomon didn't talk much about the afterlife and, uh, and the Old Testament really doesn't do that. Uh, it really takes the, the, the revelation of the New Testament to, uh, to grasp all that's going on in God's plan. So Solomon's wisdom is very much a this life, this worldly wisdom. I see a follow up here by Lon. Is there lack of an eternal life understanding why uh, so many miss the messianic prophecies? Yes. Yes, because when they're in exile, they start thinking about maybe there's more to life here than, than just earthly things. But they go back and read the law and read the promises, and it's all very earthy. So when Jesus shows up and says, I have not come to make Israel a worldwide dominant kingdom. Instead, I am the king, and I'm taking over the whole world for myself, and I'm I'm bringing in this, this heavenly reality, the heavenly Jerusalem kind of thing, and the new earth, Jews didn't want it because they wanted the earthly prosperity. Now we're going to get that. We're all, all Christians are going to get that eventually, but it's not just about the new Jewish nation and it's far bigger and better and greater than the simple earthly concept that the Jews had. So yeah, great observation, great point. So Solomon is, is giving us uh, this perspective of this life and saying, Enjoy it because you, as Christians, because we know eternity is coming. We can trust God for that. That frees us to enjoy this life, as he has said over and over and over again. Getting back to uh, Ecclesiastes here. Enjoy, verse nine again, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which God has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Our eternal reward is heaven being with Jesus. Our earthly reward is recognizing you're going to die and that's not the end of the story. So enjoy your wife, enjoy your food, enjoy work. Enjoy those things. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. You're going to die. Your time on this earth is limited. So why waste it? Why miss it? Why do something half-heartedly? Why spend all your time on video games and nonsense? Whatever your hand is put to, do it with gusto. You can't determine. You you don't know what's going to happen. Look at verse 11. I saw again under the sun that the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, a man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time, when it suddenly comes upon them. You, you don't know. You can't determine the end of things. You don't have the ability to put everything in order such that the conclusion is the way you want it. It, it doesn't always work out the way we think. The, the, the fastest guy doesn't always win the race. Uh, the smartest man does not always uh, get the job or whatever. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Remember Jesus said this? Today has enough troubles of its own. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So today... Put your hand to something and do it well and do it with all the the energy and gusto you can find and make sure you take some time to enjoy good food and drink. And if you're married, make love to your spouse, Uh, taste all the Lord's blessings and goodness. And as Curtis already said, as a foretaste of the eternal richness that is ours because of Christ. As, yes, Jenny. Exactly. Make today a good day, because you don't know tomorrow. And do and, and you see what this does? Sometimes we use God's sovereignty as a um, we become fatalistic, and it, it, we just say, "Well, I'm not going to do anything because God's already determined the end. I, I, I'm just not going to do anything because you know if God's in control." If God is sovereign, why pray? If God is sovereign, why evangelize? If God is sovereign, I'm I'm just going to sit here and God will sovereignly move me. No, that is not, that is an unwise, that is a fool's perspective. Wisdom says, because God is in control and I'm not, and because I don't know what's happening and I can't control the outcome, I'm going to do everything I can with all my might, enjoy all the little blessings here on earth, and rest in God's providence. That's what wisdom does. Do you have more questions, more thoughts? Uh, Jenny, that's exactly it. Make today a good day. It is a good day. It's hard. We've all got stuff. And if we dwell on the negative, if we dwell on the the obstacles, the the the, the uncertainties, if we dwell on the pains and suffering. Again this is not a case of Rossara it's not a ignore uh, the events that happened uh, yesterday. Uh, again a guy drives into a parade, a Christmas parade and kills kids and uh, that's awful. Uh, death is the enemy. Solomon is Solomon is not simply telling us to, oh, don't worry about death. No, death is the enemy. It's the last enemy. We mourn with those who mourn. Life is sacred. And when it's taken, when someone dies, it is a sober, serious thing. So again, the Bible speaks to a whole lot of other things beyond just what we're saying here. So don't ignore everything else the Bible says. But from this perspective, wisdom, wisdom, and that's what Solomon's trying to teach us. Wisdom says... You know the end is coming. Make today a good day. Enjoy today. Tomorrow may be much harder. Tomorrow may be, may be far worse. Or it may be fantastic. Either way, enjoy. Any other thoughts? Any other, uh, any other comments you want to make or any questions you have? It's, uh, it's about time to wrap it up here. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope it is speaking to you. And most importantly, I hope you are applying it. There is a path here from the wisest man who ever lived to enjoying God's gifts to us. So may you do that and uh, we'll come back tomorrow. Grace and peace to you.